Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode, I'm talking with Kirsten Gouldy, who's a business leader, a board member on multiple companies and what she describes as an intuitive advisor and modern day shaman. Having followed the normal career path, Kirsten found herself successful in a male-dominated industry, but stressed, depressed, and at risk of losing her family. She realised that there had to be a different way. Now, Kirsten had always been an intuitive child, but this intuition had been blocked through a combination of childhood trauma and social conditioning. By reconnecting to her true self, she's found a better way to be, and now helps business leaders connect with their true selves in order to become more empathetic and powerful in the process creating a win-win-win environment in their corporations. In our conversation, we explore many areas, including the impact a toxic environment can have on your health, finding the positive possibility in every moment of chaos, and the rewards that can come from listening to your intuition, overtaking the obvious route. In short, if you're not listening to your consciousness, something's going to knock you out to get you to listen. Before we jump into the interview, if not already done so, please have a listen to my TEDx talk. If you go to my website, businessenjoyment.com, a pop-up will appear giving you direct access. Alternatively, take a look at my LinkedIn profile and you'll find a link there. Now, this talk sets out my ethos that life and business is about so much more than just money and sets out how you can be successful and happy at the same time. So do check that out. For now, sit back, relax, start listening to your own intuition and most of all, enjoy. All right. So hello, I am Kirsten Gouldie, and I am what I would call an intuitive advisor and modern day shaman, as well as a business leader and board member on several um, companies, larger, mid-sized to larger companies. And I call myself an intuitive advisor because a lot of the work that I do with our leaders is teaching them how to develop their intuitive skills and how to be guided by deeper instincts and you know, understanding their gut and their messages that they're getting rather than just being a sheep in a cog in a wheel right, that just continues to churn without having any consciousness as to why they're behaving a certain way. And a modern day shaman is someone who is conscious that we have an environment, that we have an earth, that we have a world that, um, and that we're all interconnected in a metaphysical term and scientific terms and quantum physics, it's proven that everything is interconnected in energy and how to tap into that to propel your own performance within business. And having been a CFO and a CCO for telecommunications and technology, it's really nice to actually have conscious woke people starting to lead companies rather than people who want sheeps and drones to just do what they say, regardless of the ramifications to society or environment. So it's the infusion of ancient principles into capitalism and success as well as caring and conditioning for you know our earth and its people mm. and, and that word you use there the infusion the combination that's a, sort of the word that was going through mine it's a combination of uh, business and shamanism and energy and this sort of stuff that's a very interesting combination and uh, i'll be intrigued to know how it's sort of been received at the moment and, and who who is received and, and what that growth is but it suggests that you've got 
a broad experience. You talked about the telecoms businesses that you work with and being in on the board side of things, but you picked up other stuff. So how, how has this come about? How have, you, how have you got to this juxtaposition or a combination of two very ex differences, historically speaking, of different sort of angles? What's your... Yeah, that's, a, that's such a great question, right? It came about because um, there was a need for me to do something different. There was a need, I, you know, I'm 52 years old. I have been in corporations my entire career. I ended up with physical illnesses, ailments, anxiety, depression, family members. My children would say, put the phone down, please put the phone down. Because I was seven days a week on call as an executive put the phone down, mom, you need to be at the dinner table, right? When the kids are asking you to be at the dinner table, there's a problem because traditionally they don't want to be at the dinner table, right? So this was, and my whole life I've been, I've pursued metaphysical. And when I say metaphysical, it's really the study of the unknown as how I would describe metaphysical, right? Where a lot of religions put the unknown into absolutism, and then it becomes dogma, and then it becomes a requirement, and then you then end up back as a sheep, right? So I would consider myself a philosopher, a studier of, and in ancient times, philosophers were science, they were education, they were healers, they were medicine people, they were, there again, that word infusion, they incorporated all of it, nothing was left off the table. And even scientists as we know them, they're even limited in scope because they set out to prove their point, which again, creates a limited scope and they don't go beyond what they want to prove. They're not open to, to being proven wrong. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've always been a studier of, I love metaphysics, I'm a psychic, I'm an intuitive, I can do readings, I am a medium. So this stuff has always come to me. But just go, when we say always, so I mean, as far back as I can remember, right, so as like far back. Five, six, yeah. you were into this sort of Exactly, exactly. And I always tell the funny story. When I was about 12, you know, boys were coming into the picture. I didn't understand what I was doing, but I would like candles on the porch and call in, do little spells, trying to call in, you know, that boy that I wanted to date, which invariably I'd end up dating. I probably shouldn't have, <laughs> you know, I probably shouldn't have asked to date him, right? They weren't, I wasn't, I didn't know what I was asking for, but you know, I was always doing unique and odd things. And I always had a deep connection. I've, I've grown up on beaches. So I've had a deep connection to the ocean and having come from a very traumatic um, childhood, there was a lot of trauma involved. It was nature that saved me and gave me the will to stay alive when I would have otherwise not made it. So it has been an always phenomenon. And, and I remember going, going in straight away, but when you talk about trauma, is that something you're happy to talk about and explain? A bit? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very much a part of my journey and how I got, how I've gotten to where I am today. So um, my, you know, we, I come from deep rooted um, domestic violence and sexual abuse within the family and a single mother in the seventies who chose to marry a black man, which in the United States is, you just don't do that as a Scandinavian white woman, right? So what, what area of, uh, of the States were your- Well, we happened to be in what was considered a liberal state. I was, I grew up in New York, but people racists are racists are racist right the the white motto is it's great just don't bring him into our family right we have a black friend 
but don't put him at the table you know so it's and we're talking a few years back as well obviously so yeah yeah i mean it, it's still prevalent right because i have black brothers and i recently just had a nephew who was shot in the streets of la and murdered and you know to the lapd he's just another black kid and it's it's an unsolved murder mystery even though we've provided evidence of who might have done it so it's still very real for us yeah yeah so the the um uh, the mismatched family the un the un unaccepted relationship <laughs> the unaccepted right we're the black sheeps of the family literally right. i mean i'm the white sheep but i'm part <laughs> of the black sheep family right <laughs> so um but that led me you know and as a trauma survivor there is something called disassociation right mm -hmm. so you learn to survive by leaving your body you just disappear and in you know shamanic trainings we do journey and learn to leave. So, I mean, it's much more precise. It's a lot safer, but trauma survivors have a very good, easy way of integrating into shamanic practices, right? So it became very good. And then I, um, when I went through drugs and alcohol and I got sober when I was 19, so I'm 32 years in recovery and very active. And, you know, the 12-step um, programs are very spiritual in nature. Mm. They're not, again, not dogmatic, but um, very spiritual in nature. So I set on a course of really uncovering what my spiritual journey was going to be for myself. And as a studier of all principles, I study, I'm multicultural. I've studied many, many cultures of religion, shamanism, practices, and whatnot. So, mm. you know, I... It has, it's really evolved and allowed me to open into many, many practices. Mm. And that was alongside being an executive, right? Growing up the corporate ladder and doing, being doing, an executive. Doing the normal thing that uh, you meant. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> That's it. I mean, sitting in a boardroom going, oh my God, these people are asleep all day long. They just are unaware of who they are. Mm. So I just, I was just, break down the steps a little bit more so just out of interest with with people who go through uh forms of abuse and the disassociation is, is the drugs a common route drugs and alcohol because that he helps with the disassociation oh without a doubt i mean uh, I, i'll speak to my experience but it, it's pretty prevalent right but my through my experience the first moment I, I my first experience was drinking a fifth jack in seventh grade right like that's enough to kill a horse let alone a seventh grade you know young body and i knew at that moment that it could it just would check me out of the world which is what i wanted to happen mm. right i did not want to be here so it aided in what my desire was which was to not be here and it was highly effective and yet sadly to my chagrin during that time I really did not, I didn't want to check out. I did want to leave. I did want to die. But then I got sober and found another path. And it took me some years. I had to struggle with depression and whatnot as I was going through the trauma work. But that also helped me deepen um, into metaphysics because I found that a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists, they just want to put you on drugs. Mm -hmm. They want to medicate you. They don't give you- I just got off the drugs. I just got off the drugs. Like, what are you thinking? You know? <laughs> And like, God forbid they gave me a life skill that could teach me how to navigate. And I really found early on that therapists, and I don't knock therapists, I think they're really good, 
but they're limited in scope. They don't talk about spiritual development or access to something that would enable me to find power within myself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because the um, true healing comes from within. A hundred percent. It's all about this the personal self journey. Yeah, and 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 it's a, I always I, I always talk um, about business itself. Anybody moving into business, stepping into business for themselves, um, actually, the journey of business is the journey of self, because it's a it it, it, it puts us in a state where we have in order for that to be successful, we've got to make this successful. Uh, yes, and, um, it, it throws everything up. <laughs> it does. It does. You know, it's funny. And to that point, I'll. You know, I've always mentored and coached people. So side by side, parallel to my corporate career, I've always had coaching clients where we worked on performance and, you know, expanding into their goals or moving beyond what they wanted to do. And I always tell my clients, and I still do this today, you know, I consider myself somebody who helps cultivate leaders, but with different value systems. Uh, but, you know, what would be interesting, you it, you never need to ask a leader, you know, tell me about what you do because they're brilliant at what they do. They don't need me to help them there, right? That's, they, they get it already. They're the expert. Usually it's the man who's been sleeping on the couch for 10 years and unattached to his wife and nobody knows, right? Or, you know, a female who has been in a corporate career and has never figured out how to empower herself and break the lower salary basis. So she suffers from extreme low self-esteem, even though you would think she was a powerhouse, right? All these various things or children who are going through a lot of hardship. And, you know, there's a lot of shame for parents who have children who are going through hardship because they are not going to the Ivy League. They just might be and a human being, right? They might not be going to the school that the neighbors want. So all of these things stop us from performing. So if we don't have self-awareness and authenticity and the capacity to really on a daily basis, continue to look at what lies behind, what lurks behind, we're not going to be able to move forward and achieve these high level aspirations that we have. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely spot on. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, so um, again, going back, I just like to, to break things down. So the, you're all, you, you, from a young age through the, through the association, you were naturally sort of stepping out of your body effectively. Were you aware? I wouldn't say effectively at that point. Oh, it was not effective. Was <laughs> well, getting into the habit. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you aware you were in? You were doing something different, or was it just that's just you, that's just what you did to survive, and you didn't have any consciousness around the? That is what I did to survive. Now, at the same time, I you know in high school I was around. You know, Stevie Nicks was a big thing then, and she was the White Witch, right? So we all began practicing and I had a friend who looked like Stevie Nicks. We all wanted to look like her. You know, we all wanted to be that. And, you know, I was a deadhead. I was a grateful dead lover. So, you know, we were getting to the point where, you know, metaphysical or these practices of, you know, other realms were in front of us. We were doing it, right? We would mm -hmm. play the Ouija board and stuff like that. Not that I advocate playing the Ouija board, but this is what we did. We were, I was always tinkering in the metaphysical. I was fascinated by it. 
Mm, yeah, I guess it's um, yeah. So we probably had that sort of a, a cycle, haven't we? Where it was quite uh, quite popular at that sort of time, it then disappeared. Now it's coming back mm-hmm. again. It's, it's been a phase of of what's been in. So, so you you conscious it's there and. You said when you sort of got sober and about the age of 19, you said, right, and then you moved down the corporate career. So, well, if I got that right. So what what was the, 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 the thought process in your head about going to the corporate life? Was it a case of this is what I told I, I ought to do, so I'm going to do it. Let's find out what I can do. Or was there actually a, a desire from your end? You know, I, I would love to say that I had very deliberate intentions on my career path, but I never did. I got pulled rather than intent, you know, had a serious intention to it. So when I was 19, when I first got sober, I'm an artist. I interviewed with a very well-known um, art school here in, you know, in the United States, in New York. And I was sent home to go do some homework and never did it. <laughs> and then, so, right, I mean, I was 19 and I was just newly sober. I wasn't quite ready to like hold the reins of responsibility. That being said, I was also, um, I was blessed with having a really high math aptitude. And somebody had, my mother actually planted in my head that if you're an accountant, you'll always have a job, right? And, you know, artists don't necessarily always have jobs. I think differently today about that. But then, so, um, you know, it, it just, life always falls into place for me. Even when it feels like it's falling out of place, it falls into place. So I start getting my first jobs. And because I'm an intuitive, I can foresee writing on the wall, which is opportunity, right? So if somebody's being let go, I know it's coming. And rather than being in fear, I harnessed the opportunity, right? They were letting go of the president. I was his assistant. I went in to tell the board member, the, the chairman of the board, who was you know, about to let this president go. Nobody knew it was happening. I said, I know you're going to let him go. I want to be manager of investor relations. I was already doing all the work that the president was doing. The fundraising had raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he pretty much can I curse on here? He pretty much. Oh, oh yeah. He <laughs> absolutely shit his pants. Like, how do you know we're letting him go? <laughs> you know? Like, what are you talking about? And I think because I caught him off guard, he goes, you can have whatever you want because I showed him I'm doing all his work. You know, I mean, there was a reason they were letting him go. I was doing all of his work. So I got that promotion and, you know, that put me down the path of investor relations. And it was a brand, I was employee number five of this new telecom. So I kept moving up the ranks and then I started managing the legal department. And then I started managing the finance department. And then I started getting involved in very large hundred million dollar transactions, right? So I fell into everything that I do. And that's the beauty of intuition. Mm -hmm. If you have enough intuition and you can harness it with action, the world is your oyster. And were you, were you, again, are you conscious of you have a better level of intuition and you are using it deliberately or is it natural subconscious and you're just taking the opportunity? At that point, it was natural subconscious, right? It was, it just was what I would do. So for instance, I have this thing where I wake up in the middle of not in the night and I know I need to do something. So I'll write business plans and then I'll go present it to the department and it's spot on and I get a $20,000 raise. And I don't know where it comes from. It just, it's like a creative outpouring 
that just occurs or you know, in the case of my last role, like I got a knock on my door that said, you have to write this letter to the board of directors today. And there was a very defining event that happened literally a week after. So mm -hmm. it needed to be dated on that day. And it really saved me from some huge turmoil that was to come, right? So, you know, today I consciously follow this intuition and I train how to listen to it then it was just what I did. Like my mother always said, I don't know who you, I don't, I don't understand what you do. But like, literally my brother would say, I could have nothing and a diamond can fall out of my pocket. And nobody understands how that happens. Like, it's, and it's not luck because I've put myself in some really unfortunate situations, but it's listening, just being guided and following and mm -hmm. doing what's right for the right reason, mm. right? So would you say, it feels like at that point, it was the language used was you fell into roles. So it's almost like what I might call localized intuition. So seeing what instinctively reacting to what's going on and making the right choice in the moment, which then leads to the next step, the next step, the next step without any overarching kind of destination that you're going for. You just find yourself in the next step. Oh, what am I, I'm doing this now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Here we are. There was really, and you know, by that time too, I was a single mother. I had had two children. I ended up, marrying the one guy that should have never been married in my 12-step program and he relapsed and was a very bad person so um, at that point I was a single mother so a lot of the stuff I did had a single point focus mm. taking care of my daughters right it, there was you know so it all there was a localized focus so the intuition was how am I going to survive as a single mother and give them the best life possible. Keep your job, earn more money, keep running up. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a high intention at that point. And having passion and purpose wasn't in the cards, right? Passion and purpose was being a mother. And that was really what drove me at that time. Mm, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether there's any gap in between, but I, I was with the, the, the bit you talked about where you were stressed and, and and when your kids are saying mum when i when she comes to the table because i don't know we've got anything to explore in between there but um had at that point had your had you stopped listening to intuition or you focused on something else how, how did we get to that sort of yeah that's a really great question so um you know money is very alluring <laughs> right <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's kind of a lord of the rings effect right my precious like it just it, it, it does something to you you start to you know i i grew up around money but i my family was very poor right so having found myself in a high earning capacity and having influence i wasn't necessarily a person who sought power but i really did love money right? I love finer things. And, you know, you start, I found myself, and I guess you would say it was an overriding of intuition. Like I, I started worshiping something different, mm -hmm. right? And what I wanted to worship was more money, being around the right people, the influence that comes with it. And I started wanting, I mean, I always said I wanted to be on the cover of Forbes magazine for as long as I can remember, right? Children were not in my cards, but that was the cards I was given. And I'm so grateful because had I chosen my own destiny, I would have been miserable. They're the light of my life, you know? And I always say that sometimes we're given exactly what we needed, whether we wanted it or not. It turns out to be the blessing of our life, you know? 
And so I continued to build a career and pursue, but I was also, because I had grown up in poverty, I had severe PTSD. So the money never really satisfied what I was chasing, right? And I, I think people don't understand that there is a real poverty consciousness even among the wealthy, right? They're chasing it for the wrong reasons, right? And that is what we're looking to change here through the work that I'm doing. Is that, and it's, you know, the wave of con conscious leadership that's moving through. But to do that through that self-awareness, you have to understand that. So I was driven, but it is very sexy being around people who have these beautiful Audis and then you see Bentley sitting next to you and you're in the finest restaurants in key areas throughout the United States. And, you know, everybody always tells me as poor as I grew up, I have a, a bougie essence to me, right? So I like bougie, bougie. It's like the princess, the queen quality, right? Like I like, I like Prada purses, right? Like, <laughs> so um and so I started following the wrong things and I wasn't paying attention to quality of life. Mm. I wasn't paying attention because once you start into that trap, and this is where I believe corporations are partly responsible. You know, I would have CEOs tell me I would go to the bathroom and not have my cell phone. And they'd say, I was calling you, where were you? And I would tell them I was in the ladies room because you know, the guys would all go huddle in the bathroom and talk business. They couldn't follow me into the bathroom. It would have been a sexual harassment lawsuit, right? So I couldn't go hang out with them in the boys room and I was the only female executive. But he would say things like, don't you ever not have your phone? If I was on a Sunday, I took a couple hours out he would be in a rage because they couldn't access me, right? Because we'd be in the middle of fundraisings or whatever we were doing, but there was no ability to have any quality of life. And the quality of life had to be surrounded by these people who I didn't like to begin with, right? But I had to figure out how to like them because it secured my position of power and wealth right? So, and it's a trap I think we all fall into. I mean, I can't tell you how many corporate leaders are around people they really don't like. They would never befriend in the world. They have no choice. So, and you know, you're the sum, if you're the sum of five people you hang out with, you know, you sleep with dogs, you get fleas, right? Like you become that, even if it's not who you really are. So that's what really began, because it's unsustainable, it's just unsustainable. Those working hours, I mean, if you just look at the history even of men in corporate, heart attacks by 50, 55, there's obesity running rampant, the amount of divorces and affairs or estranged children that they didn't even get to raise or know or see. I mean, there's so much separation from being a human being in these corporations to have any type of wealth at all. And that's when I really, I started having a knowing about 10 years ago that something has to change. But to that point, that self-awareness, I needed to not want that the way, not that I can't have it today, but it had to be this, it had to shift what was propelling me mm -hmm. to be successful. 
Mm. So, so it was a, and and the the intuition starting to tap on your shoulder and say, "Oi, what about me?" A little bit. So you're starting to become aware of it. Absolutely. Wow. And it wasn't. I'm not going to say it was because I had this grand awakening. It was because my health started going. Mm-hmm. I hit what I would consider levels of obesity. My I had four different types of cancer in one year. I got a knock on my door to pay attention to my breast. And that was the final one. I was like, that's it. That's it. And simultaneously, right? So I do read tarot cards. I do do intuitive stuff. I'm in all these classes. Like when I lived in Florida, I was an executive of of a company in Florida. I would drive across the coast and I'd go spend my weekends in shamanic trainings or I would go read tarot cards on the weekend in the local store just because I loved doing it so much. I didn't need the money. I did it because I loved it. Like that's, that was, and I got to help people, right? I really got to help people and make a difference in their lives. So I started finding something was knocking on my door that I actually really love being an artist and helping people, right? Like now I get to paint. Now I get to draw. I get to sell my artwork. I don't think I'm going to be a Michelangelo, but I don't need to be today, right? Like, so it was just knocking on my door and I'd be working with these people. I just couldn't stand all day long. And I don't even think they liked me. So I think it might've been fair, but we pretended to, right? And then I would go to work in these stores and spend my entire weekend doing tarot readings or intuitive readings or shamanic healings. And I realized I really love this. I really love helping people. And that was when, and then, you know, I really believe that if you're not listening, something's going to knock you out to get you to listen. And I did get a knockout punch. So I had no choice, but to listen, it wasn't like, I just went, Oh, I'm going to make a beautiful career choice and transition. No, the rug was pulled out from under me and I had to really take a look at everything that I was doing. Mm. And this is the cancer call that that you referred to? Well, it was a little bit bigger than that. It turned out the company I was with, it's now public, so I can speak to it. But the company I was with, um, the the CEO and CFO were, um, they are accused of committing securities fraud and embezzlement, right? So again... I was in an environment that was toxic, right? It was a permeation of cancer mm. and I was the compliance officer. So try that one on for Like seriously, like I really, and this was, you know, that, that middle of the night, wake up and write the board a letter right? Mm. That was my knowing that I had to tell somebody what I believed to have been happening, right? Because my, I really do value integrity. I always have, Mm. right? Like there's things that I've done, but I've never done anything illegal. And even if I borderline gray, I'm the first one to tell on myself, like, oh my God, I'm so guilty, right? Like I can't live with the idea of harming somebody else. So, um, I did get that wake up in the middle of the night saying, you better write this letter. It has to be dated today and it needs to be mailed out tonight. And there was a real reason like dates lining up during the investigation proved that that was the right timing, right? Mm. So that's when intuition and I got knocked out. I just, I can't do, and that's why I'm such an advocate going back to being a board member and being, um, 
you know, in a conscious leadership role and cultivating leaders and teaching them the skill sets and doing this work, it takes every, I'm also a master herbalist. I just completed my master herbalist because I believe that we just drug people up with all kinds of crap and keep them zombies, right? Like we just, there has to be alternative healing methods. So um, this is what I work with the boards on. How do you cultivate real leadership to be conscious minded for, and you know, there's this new movement the people are who matters. And I fully agree with that because they've never mattered before. But if you swing too far in any pendulum, you're gonna have issues. So I believe the shareholder can win, the customer can win, and the employees can win, right? They have to have equal, everybody has to win. There has to be equanimity across the board. So, you know, working with board members, of course I have skills of, you know, I have, you know, the finance background and the compliance background to support. But also, how do you build cultures that create something different than where I've been? Yeah. Again, going to explore that a bit more. Just going to go back. And keep, <laughs> <laughs> keep you back on the story. But I, when the, because there's a, an element there which does touch into it. So the the the, the rug got pulled is what you call the the investigations of the company happened. I, I mean, f- from the story that I've heard, and I'm. Sh- sure you've reflected on this but it it appears to me that you've gone throughout life from one toxic relationship to another and it just shifted who you had that toxic relationship with it's so well said 100 percent, beautifully said um and and again comes back to like kind of what you were speaking to before that the the only person that can get you out of that toxic relationship is self Mm -hmm. Uh, without a doubt so, so, so when that rug get pulled, you've, you've, you've had it, the intuition tapping on your, your door saying, on your shoulder saying, come on, what happened in that phase? Did it, did it all sort of collapse and quite rush and you go, right, that's it, I'm out here doing my own thing? Uh, no, it, it, it happened, it was a little bit different than that. There was um, a separation from executives that were there during that time, myself being one of them, you know, um, typically environments tend to have a lot of bad people if it's a bad environment, right? So there was no side that was any better than the other. So I want to be really clear. It's just, there's only two that really got pegged off, right? Um, So there was a lot of, and, and I have to say this, I don't use this as an excuse, but it's a truth. I was the only female. And there was an incredible amount of bullying on the way out, right? During, and thank God I had a beautiful attorney who believed me, right? So, um, and he was willing to, at first he didn't believe me. He thought, oh God, here goes another girl, you know, <laughs> another woman talking shit. But then he started seeing, I had evidence that the management that was trying to get us out were sending people to our houses to harass us, right? Like literally physically. So they didn't have to pay out contracts, right? Like it got to this level in New York construction. I don't know if you know much about New York construction, but it implies mafia, right? I don't know that they are, but it implies that when you hear bullying of executives, you can kind of like, you know, follow some breadcrumbs and I don't want to be accusatory, but it felt like it in my experience. So, I mean, the, the things that were being said, I've had phones thrown at my head, right? Now this goes back to that poverty consciousness 
when you're in fear of not having a paycheck and you've gone through an incredible amount of abuse, right? Even within, it begins to, de- it begins to defeat your self-esteem mm. and your self-worth and your value. So I had no idea how far down in that three and a half years that that mistreatment of being the only female and what was happening had really taken me into a spiral of fear and of low self-esteem. And so I had to, when that bell rung, I actually really had to go and do some serious work to come back out of it. Now, what's fascinating is I work with a lot of women who are very high level professionals. Almost all of us share the same story. There's very few. There are some that don't have the same story and have really navigated and fallen into beautiful places. But most women at my level, you can pretty much draw similarities throughout, right? Because you're just not, I can't go into the men's bathroom. (laughs) and have the same experience I just can't and they'll hide there right so there's just like a a boys club that I just could not penetrate I was not successful at it but to be in that boys club you actually had to become a boy Mm. and when women aren't meant to do that either right and men don't want us doing that it's this confusing thing but it's the only way you survive so I in the last few years I've really dug deep into understanding what's happening on a macro level, you know, how it impacted me on a psychological and physical level, which is where the shamanism is really important because it's body, mind, spirit, and soul, right? And then how, what is necessary to put in place so that doesn't occur again, to your point. And then also, how do I teach people? Mm. Because like I said, a lot of my clients are, you know, Professionals about my age are very young professionals who go into environments like this because it really is most corporations. And they're like, oh no, F this. (laughs) We are not doing this. Like they are resisting this over here. It's done. So um, that's really been my story of the last few years as, and it's developed my curriculum for what I teach and how I navigate boardrooms and you know, this diversity, equity, and inclusion is a really a big conversation here in the United States on Wall Street. I mean, you're losing market share if you're not doing it, <laughs> you this know? Is, this is, and this is the thing, isn't it? The, the lure of the money, you, the trap of the money you talk to means that the only way you can get change is by monetizing the improvements. Right, right. And oh, exactly to, to get in the door. I mean, obviously, the hope is that over yeah. time it becomes win win and authentic and genuine and whatever. But to open that door, you've got to say, hey, you're going to make more money if you've been if you're nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. I mean, that is I mean, watching these CEOs on their quarterly earnings calls saying stupid stuff that they always got away with. Mm. And then they say something stupid. Like, no, we're not going to adopt that policy. We're going to keep doing business as usual. Our shareholders are happy. Next day, they lost $20 in there, you know, per share on the market, right? They're not understanding what's happening. And guess what? We're all home from COVID. We have time to listen to this dumb stuff being said, right? (laughs) And so there is this philosophical change coming. And I do think it's being driven by the youth, which is incredibly excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and how, how do you find it in terms of getting your message out? As you say, it sounds like 
there's a conversation that's going on are you are you writing that or are you having to battle your way into to make people even understand what it is you do you know i i guess you know this is kind of talking a little bit about metaphysical principles right there's a law of attraction right there really is people find you who you're meant to be with right mm -hmm. so of course i have to go out and i have to have a conversation you know for a long time i didn't bring this idea that i had studied i, I mean i think i've studied about seven shamanic cultures so far like deep 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 studies and I wouldn't bring this into the boardroom and I wouldn't let people know this. People didn't know that I was psychic and a medium and seeing people behind them <laughs> talking to me, right? Or it, it, sometimes it was there, like I would, whatever. So I didn't pull that into the conversation and I'm just now blending the two in full authenticity of myself. And, you know, I have a lot of people saying, you might not want to put that on your website because so when these companies aren't going to want to talk to you about shamanism, well, then they aren't my company, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're not my company. I've been in a lot of companies that haven't been in my company for a long time. <laughs> I don't need to be with them. They don't need to be with me. I don't need to be with them. On the flip side, I have incredible high-performance clients and companies that are open to a new way because they genuinely want to do it different. And that is very inspiring. And they seek me out. And, you know, it's funny. I have a couple of clients who wouldn't have otherwise worked with me, but their wife or their sister or somebody had a reading with me. And they said, oh, you have to go talk to Kirsten. She's a performance coach. She'll work with you. And the guys are like, whatever. They come to me. I tell them something that I see. It pans out. They're like, oh, okay, maybe we'll pay attention. Then I tell them something else I see, then it really pans out. They're like, oh, now we're going to pay attention. And then we train them to follow their own intuition and they're having really large success mm. in their, um, what they're doing. So I got to tell you, it's the men that are hooked because women will innately do this work, right? The men are hooked because they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what just happened to me? <laughs> like, I, and they'll call me up. I get kids that we have a, I have a 911 policy, right? Like, you 911 me, I pick up the phone and they'll call me up. They're like, look, I, I'm working on this land deal. Is this going, to, you know, what do you think? And we'll talk about their intuition and they're really guided and they see how their intuition comes into play and they make decisions from that knowing rather than the logic scrunching numbers on a spreadsheet like mm. of course you have to do that i'm not saying you avoid that you have to do that as well it would it's just be of all the not thoughts, isn't it? that's the key thing you know? absolutely absolutely so and that's what i talk about right having business acumen having the ability to take action you're not going to own yourself into possibility right like i always say you just don't go ohm and it drops like you have to get the message take the action continue to do the work and educate yourself, go get educated, learn about business, learn about practices, learn about what it is you're interested in, right? Like you can't just take the metaphysical lazy way out and call yourself a spiritual leader and not continue to educate yourself. Mm, yeah, so you know, the, 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 we, we never get to a point where we know everything, we just continue learning. No, um, absolutely. And, um, so, so it, it feels like that because of the the 
an element of the shift in the in the culture, an element of the the the, <laughs> the people who already know it that you you you're you're able to do what you do with the right kind of people with the intention that if we get enough of the people showing success showing results by doing this then we'll attract the next step and then the next step and and thus it will spread rather than trying to go for the hard edge at the far end that's never going to the nut that's never going to be cracked until they're the ones right. behind that's right that's right and you know i i also believe too there is, I think there's something larger happening at a global level, mm. right? There's, I mean, we're breaking down at a global level. We're breaking down in every possible way. Global policies are not working. Our global economies are not interacting well right now. I mean, America's in just, in, it's unbelievable. We have no commerce of our own. We're completely dependent upon global supply and we can't get it right now because of the pandemic. We can't even get our cars fixed, right? Like it's a disaster. What's different? So from a macroeconomic policy at a global level, we're breaking down. And this is a great problem, right? This is, to me, this is great, right? We, we talked about where, you know, how I would see the possibility in the breaking, right? Mm -hmm. So through the breaking, I don't even think leaders understand what's going to happen in the future. I mean, COVID has shown us how many leaders were not prepared. They weren't, they had no disaster recovery skills. They had no um, ability to handle what happens when something unknown occurs, right? It, it, they just, they weren't adaptable. They weren't agile. They didn't know how to lead in uncertain times. And that's a real marking of a leader. They talk about it in business school but they don't hire for it, right? Like, so it's a real marking of a good leader is to adapt for the unknown. So, um, oops, sorry, I think a call came through in there. It's quite good. Can just, you hear just, me? just as you said, you've got to adapt for the unknown. Your your image completely disappeared and it went. <laughs> there we go. And here we are. <laughs> Who knows? The spaceships came in, right? <laughs> So, um, you know, what I was speaking to was with all of this global unknown, things are deteriorating, things we've always held on to, things we always believed we had, because security, it's a false reality. There is nothing that's really stable ever, right? Life is a complete cadendra. I mean, they teach this in Buddhism, right? You have to have unattachment, no attachment. And we're finding in a global way that we have to let go of what we think we know. And out of that, something new is going to be born. And it's a really exciting time in the midst of chaos, right? Confucianism talks about that. Chaos is a higher state of being, That's, which has been the story of my life. Like I allow things to unfold and I pull the opportunity in. And it doesn't mean I wander aimlessly. I do have intent. But my intent at this point is to help as many people along their path so they can illuminate who they are, who they're meant to be, and then they become the ripple in the pond, mm. right? One person can have a huge butterfly effect throughout a world. And that's really what my passion and purpose is. Mm, yeah. And um, I mean, it, lots of conversation with people around sort of the, the purpose space and and always a fear of not doing enough and that kind of stuff but you you 
is the difference between making a change in the world and fixing the world. And we can't yeah. fix the world, but you can make a change. No. One conversation can, can change the world. <laughs> yeah, one conversation, you know, and I like it to, you know, being in high school during, so I was put into a special school because I was in the top 2% in the country, but because of all of my trauma, I was unable to fulfill that aspect of myself during that time. But I had this teacher, Mrs. Tinkerman, who knew who I was, even though I couldn't go to school, right? She understood me. So she gave me a book to read because I, I really did love reading. And in that book, it spoke to what was happening to me, right? And where I was at. And it was such a loving, and to this day, I don't know any of my teacher's names. I was too stoned. I don't remember. So, but I remember hers, right? Because she cared enough to take a minute to let me know she saw, right? And to this day, I have junior high friends who will say to me, oh, Mrs. Tinkerman, she loved you, right? She loved me because she saw me and she knew that I was dying and I needed help. And that was the way she communicated because she know, like, so you just never know. That was a butterfly effect, mm. right? that let me know that somebody at least cared, right? Yeah, and, and a change in you, you're part of the world, so it's a change in the world. Um, what was the book? Um, it was called Kristen's Lavenstatter. It was about a Scandinavian. So I'm almost full-blooded Scandinavian. So Scandinavia is a very big part of who I am. And um, it was about a, a daughter, a, a Scandinavian, a Norse father. And that their family and what they went Absolutely through relate to that for sure yeah mm -hmm. um but yeah I, it's interesting what you say about the, the with change coming and 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 our attachment to structure and stability and conservatism and 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 because I, you know the, the the underpinning of anxiety is not understanding what the rules are not knowing what's going to happen and and not knowing what we're meant to do and that's where a lot of the problems come from so we have this fear about stepping into the unknown but every movement, every growth, every change comes from a breaking down of the order <laughs> into disorder. Absolutely, without a doubt. And, you know, I've been saying to people lately, you know, please don't try to fix what wasn't working to begin with. Like, <laughs> that makes no sense to me. It's like, when, right? when are we going to go back to the way things were? No, we don't want to right. go. <laughs> That's right. Or we're going to recreate, you know, officers in a company to fix something that was broken why don't you work with innovation right and this is where shamanic journeying becomes really visioning creative visioning processes intuition guidance listening to it this is where all creativity sparks right if you really look at what artists do or some of our greatest scientists einstein they were somewhere else mm. at the time of inception of their knowledge right so if you can really teach executives to go into creative visioning processes and journeying and taking that time out, we would be amazed by the inspiration and innovative ideas that step forward that have not been born before, right? We don't, I don't, please don't fix the past, please. It has sucked up until this point. Create newly from a different place with a different intention. And we, I, I really believed we would be amazed by the miracles that come out of it for humanity, 
Mm. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, the Good Country Index, Simon Anhold? I am not. Um, I have to write that down. He's worth looking up and finding out and, and listening. He's got a TED talk. He'll talk about it. And Simon Anholt. And, and he talks about a lot of what you've just talked about there, about how uh, we are not individual economies anymore. We are connected. We are global. We've got to, we've got to think in a global way. And he's, and, and he's, he's come up with a way, just almost to illustrate, but a different way of looking at countries. And, and if you measure... Well, actually, there's evidence to prove it. Actually, there's evidence to show that the countries ha have the best standing, that are respected the most, which a lot of people want. They want to have a good national image of those countries that do good for others, that give, that help, that whatever it might be. So he's actually ranked countries by that method and created an index. Oh, do, who's at the top? I'm curious. Who's at the top? Ireland. Okay. <laughs> All right. I would I would have said Scandinavia. So it's they're high up. Oh yeah, yeah, they're high up. Okay. Ireland, okay. Ireland is a top spot. Scandinavians generally are, are very good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you're you're not wrong. Um, yeah, and and they have a good reputation, and surely that's what we're after. And it's by helping others that we get mm -hmm. a good reputation, and with that comes the rewards by another method. And, and uh, anyway, worth having a look. <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know and i always use this this is my litmus test now one thing that was even though i enjoyed making money what was not lost on me was generosity and i would always say to myself what good is the money i make if my neighbor can't eat mm. right so it was never i didn't i wasn't a hoarder with what was coming in i really do a lot to um you know i, I don't mind paying a little extra so the single mother can have food on her table because the husband's not providing, right? Like I don't mind, take sure, take some of my taxes, give it to her, right? Like that means something to me. Um, but it really, like to your point, helping others matters, mm -hmm. right? I can have everything in the world and still be alone and still be lonely and have no deep inner connection and compassion and human relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's it, all these things are a spectrum, aren't they? But we, some people overhelp, o are over generous, and then they don't look after themselves. And they think, yes, 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you will come across them all the time. And it's like, oh, I'll, I'll be selfish if I do anything that actually helps me on a day to day basis. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so on that point, then we need to sort of steer things a little, a little more towards no, no, it's not selfish. You've got to look after yourself because if you don't look after yourself, you can't help others. But there comes a point where that receptacle is essentially full. You know, we've got enough as we, we uh, not just the money side of things, but, but all elements, but there's only so much we can get that area. The rest then comes from what you do for others. Um, so we can mm -hmm. fill our cup and then the cup can run it over for the benefit of else. Without a doubt. With, uh, I fundamentally believe that. And if you think about it energetically, they're both the same. Those mm -hmm. that are entirely stingy, right? And don't give anything. And those that give so much that they themselves stay, there's still a lack consciousness, right? That's they're right. both in, they're exactly the same people. So it's those that have a harmonious balance that can, you know, take care of themselves and help others. That is the state we want to be in. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so we're, we're in balance with ourselves rather than having to go into a toxic symbiotic relationship with somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. 
going back to your your toxic relationships again. That wasn't intended. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you know, and it's so funny because I love that you pulled that thread and even identified. Yes, I did keep moving from one toxic relationship to another, whether it be family, a man, or a job, right? Because until I did my own self healing, I didn't know to not tolerate i knew the day i walked into the office in naples florida that i should have left i stayed for three and a half years until the rug got pulled out from under me right so out of my own fear of not having a paycheck even though my entire life has showed great earning capacity right (laughs) like so but i still had this underlying fear and then you know, put a sustained period of mistreatment and then it really takes you down. It becomes harder to come out. Mm, absolutely. And, and, it, and you know, I, I recognize it. I've not had to, to, to suffer the, the challenges you've had to suffer and the, I've, had, I've, I've, had a, I've had a lovely upbringing. <laughs> you know, I love little... hearing that too. I love <laughs> it. It gives me hope. Um, we, we all have little traumas and things, but no, I've not had to suffer. But but when I got to my revelation and my, I don't want to work in here anymore in, in where I am moment, then I looked back and went, oh, I see now why I made that decision five years ago, six years ago. I was actually trying to escape, but I failed to do so. So again, intuition, mm-hmm. tapping on your shoulder, not listening to it <laughs> until something yep. makes you go, ah, I've got to take a decision now. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I want to map this into why this is important in the boardroom, right? So the board is, or even in the executive level, these are the people responsible for shaping the outcome of a company, mm. right? And we we have these five-year, three-year plans, five-year plans, 10-year plans that we tend to choose to not deviate to because we have to answer to shareholders, Right and or Wall Street. And they're really unforgiving about plan changes unless you can quantify and you stay on the path, even if it's the wrong path or you find out, right? Like just think of big pharma. You know you're harming people with the drugs you're putting out in the market, but we're gonna approve it anyway because there's so much money, right? In any good intuition is gonna tell you, don't do that wait another year and find a solution that doesn't harm people, right? Oh, what about these companies that are dumping all our toxic chemicals into our water? So we're pretty sure we're not gonna have clean water here in five years, right? And yet they keep doing it because of the money. And those whistleblowers, they actually end up dead or unable handcuffs or paid off or something, families threatened. I mean, this is real. This is not some, so if you're in the boardroom and you have a conscious leadership, a commitment to conscious leadership, and you've empowered your people to have a voice and to speak and to say what they believe, because if you really empower people, you're gonna hear these things come out, right? (laughs) They're going to speak to doing right. People naturally want to do right, they really do. Most people do not wanna do bad, right? So having this intuition, if you're given a path that offers you a couple hundred million, but your intuition is saying, no, we need to go over here. It will earn less, but we'll have better gain in the future. Board members and executives are trained to go with the obvious. 
rather than trying to go with their intuition because it's not it's illogical to go for something that's seemingly less but can have a greater impact in the future right and so this is what you have to train because sometimes intuition is not comfortable intuition means you're going to have to make a choice that does not go against that does not go with your grain it feels illogical it feels almost impossible you can't believe what you're being asked to do when you really tell like are you for real you want me to quit my job today are you for real we're not going to take a 200 million dollar deal but if i go on this path i just have a sense or knowing it's going to give us better rewards in the future we just need to go a little bit longer and then have the courage to defend it right and go up against it when everybody's going to tell you or you're out of your mind so this is how it works in a boardroom is really i mean it takes balls mm -hmm. it takes balls to stand mm -hmm. up and say you know what this isn't the obvious but i guarantee you it's right mm -hmm. and allow that to play out and make decisions for the right reason particularly if you're the only one saying it and everyone else is saying yeah particularly yeah because <laughs> i mean this is where this is where leadership training becomes you know, really important because you have to create allyship and really understand conflict management and how to be in a conflict and be okay with that, right? And speak anyway. And yes, it might mean risking authority. And sometimes people listen, but that's also why, you know, culture in a company matters. Mm. Oh, there are companies that do embrace these because this is how innovation is born. This is how innovation is born. Mm, absolutely no, and, and um you know talking about so go back to something you said earlier and this is everything that i talk about is is that ultimately the, the on the business side of it the measurement is wrong you know the, the only measurement of success in business is how much money you make and and that's it so mm -hmm. so whilst that framework is in place the decisions are going to be focused more on a short-term cash generating basis than the longer term things because these that's certain that isn't certain whereas if we change the way that we measure what success is and can bring in some metrics that people are rewarded on things that are more than just making money the cultural shift in, 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 in the right direction as well yeah absolutely absolutely and the more people that are trained to listen to our to intuition I mean, it, it's the results are exponential, right? Because really you'd have to understand science to really get the law of quantum physics that's at play. But when you choose to go in flow and open up to possibility that's greater beyond the, what you can imagine and that intuition are nuggets of what's really beyond in the quantum, it begins to open up results that you couldn't have accounted for. Mm right so humans like to rely on the human brain but we only use a couple percent of it so there right there is the breakdown <laughs> right but if we're tapping into an exponential element which is the quantum and we're taught to actually how to create a vision within that quantum the results are unprecedented and it's proven to me over and over both both intentionally unintentionally younger and intentionally now, right? The things that happen to me, I could not plan for what unfolds 90% of the time. So, you know, while I have an intention in a direction, I have agility, I have flexibility, 
And I know plan for the unknown to unfold because it's always better than what my 2% could create. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that tradition of, you know, as you said, you know, you've got to have a plan, you've got to have a goal, you've got to have a destination, you've got to have a, you've got to have all the steps in place and they'll know actually you don't. <laughs> no, I mean, COVID has proven that. <laughs> right. Tear up your five-year plan, people. <laughs> Because I say, you know, any any plan, any cash flow forecast, anything, they they all have one thing in common across every single country on the planet, and they're all wrong. They're all wrong. I mean, the joke <laughs> in investment banking is cut twenty percent right off the top. Yeah. <laughs> right? like whatever you project, <laughs> cut twenty percent. Of course, you have the anomalies where they exceed expectations, but that's just because of really good stewards of the business who have learned how to underpromise, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and sandbag, right? There's a term for it. It's called sandbagging, right? No, I'm not saying there are companies that could, you know, can overdeliver and tap into that unexpected. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So in other words, we can have whatever we want as long as we stop our brain getting in the way. As long as we start and, you know, ask why you want it. Right. Going back to my, you know, praying for those guys that I could date. Did I really need to date them? No, <laughs> no, I would have been much better off with the guy who asked me out, you know, <laughs> the one that I was chasing, <laughs> you know, so we don't like I, I think sometimes we think we want something. And then when we get there, we go, what? Like, I, I didn't want that. That destination does not fulfill us at all. Yeah, I mean, again, you touched on various things, but I always say when most forms of stress, uh, going back to that attachment thing you talked about, is either attachment to the way things were, the attachment to how we think should be, or an attachment to a future that will never happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, and um, you say, if you can just get to just be comfortable in the now and come from a place of, as you say, intent, focus and action, the rest will come. You don't need. Absolutely, without a doubt. Don't need without to. a doubt. And I, I love that you talked about that present moment because that is such a pinnacle training in the intuitive training and in shamanic training and in spiritual training and in meditation. Like it doesn't matter what your mindfulness, everything is about present moment, right? Nothing can happen if I'm not fully anchored in present moment. And to your point, all the anxiety is predicated upon those three points that you laid out. Mm. Mm. Be a happier world. <laughs> <laughs> oh just please break this world down let us open up into something new <laughs> yeah and, and then becomes <laughs> you know we've got to make sure that what does come out is better and we've, we've all you know mm -hmm. and, and again, it's better all comes to each of us if we, we we don't need to have the grand plan as we say but if, if, if we just strive to be better in the moment and, and at each step then doesn't matter what happens we can always create a better world for ourselves and if if we can do it for ourselves we can do it for those around us too without a doubt without a doubt that is a great summation right there mm, brilliant so i would uh, 
ordinarily I might be intrigued to say where the future goes and, and what your, your plans are and all the rest of it. But we've just said you don't have plans, you're just going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, right? I mean, my intent is to go live abroad now, right? But with COVID, who knows what year that's going to happen in. <laughs> And are you are you are you, uh, are you doing a lot of stuff remotely so you can kind of work from anywhere or are you just happy to travel? Yeah, everything I do at this point is remotely. I do see a lot. I have um, clients around the country and throughout the UK. So I a lot of stuff. A lot of my clients are um, remote, but I do a lot of one-on-one stuff if I'm in person as well. COVID permitting, you know, mm. safety permitting. Are you finding a geographical? leaning towards your your kind of thing i mean obviously you're america based so that's where the, the starting of your base is but you talk about people in the uk is it culturally is there people who are more open to it or is it just uh, the right people are the right people and it doesn't matter where they are you know i think i would have answered the question differently last year <laughs> I, I you know i i would have categorized people into cultures right but I am going to tell you, I am finding, I, I think America is the most constipated, truly. <laughs> I mean, we, we're, I, it just seems to be a culture that's going backwards, not forwards, right? And I know that's part of the breakdown. I do find in other cultures who, where mysticism is normal, right? Or they've been around mysticism or they have an aunt or uncle who's a mystic, right? And it's not, it just, it, um, so I find everywhere other than America to have a greater propensity to be open to the conversation. Mm. America is going through the great constipation process, right? And uh, the Supreme Court is ruling in a lot of directions that are taking us back to the 1700s. So it's really quite a frightening, you know, in it throughout the South. Black people are struggling to be able to get the right to vote. So, um, so I would say if there was ever a place that I'm really needed, it's here, right? Mm. It's going to be, and I'm speaking to things that could really put me in physical danger. You know, I, I mean, as you know, I have a, as I mentioned, I have an African-American family, I have a Black family, and um, it is dangerous for them. It's real. It is very real. And so yeah, to answer your question, I would have thought the, that America was woke, but America's going ass backwards and bellies up. It's really, but I think that's why I, I'm needed here, mm. you know. And again, and sort of that sort of touches on that earlier question about how you get in front of the right people because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't open to it, and that becomes mm-hmm. a challenge for you to get. You know, the people you want to 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 get it are the people that are least likely to get it. Kind of thing. But I think, you know, our current president said something, and this isn't about whether I like him or not, but what he said was spot on. You don't need everybody. You just need enough. Right. So at at some point enough and the youth is, is, you know, and a lot of people my age are really starting to embrace it. We just need enough people to begin to expand. And then there's a tipping point. Yeah. And the tipping point is a lot lower than we think. It's something it on, really is it's like 12, 15 percent, that sort of order, which is not that much in the scheme of things. But I think I think with America, it's there's an element of the the the, you know, the collapse of the of the of the empire type situation. I mean, they've been the powerhouse for for so long and now they're watching that sort of losing that mm-hmm. position. And that's where we were 
couple of hundred years ago. We still haven't got over it, but it's... <laughs> you know, we, it's still going through it, yes. <laughs> but it, 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 I think we're, we're getting through it, but it's still remnants of it for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And the post-colonial guilt and all the stuff that goes with it. So we're, we're further ahead in that sense. But um, now I, I, what you've talked about in America, I've, I've seen in this country. Uh, and I can see it in the past and remnants of it now. Um, I guess. Yeah, it's very frightening. But, you know, at the same <laughs> time, too, we've we talked about it. It's very exciting as well, because wherever there is discord, if harmony, there's opportunity for harmony. Right. Yeah. So at least the ugly is at the forefront. The ugly yeah. is in front of us and we know what devil we're working up against. Yeah. And and this is it with any with chaos, with change, with destruction of the old come casualties. Mm -hmm. and Without a doubt. And individual casualties are tragic, but in the bigger picture is also essential to progress. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, right? And I do believe some people are willing to be the casualty, right? I, I think people made some choices that said, hey, we'll be the casualty for you, but you better go fight the good fight, okay? Like I am, I do have the warrior's blood. I am able to fight a good fight. I can stand on the line a lot longer. I do it a little softer today, but you know, I, I was quite, I, I was a lot more ball busting in my day. I've, I've quieted down a little bit, right? Now I, I tend to do it with kindness, but I can sustain what needs to be sustained. Well, you're not surrounded by quite so many toxic men now. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I mean, it's funny because every man, it, it, you know, you attract who you are, right? So now I have, and it took, this was a great lesson for me to really undo because of what I had just been in business for so long. I didn't have any role models that for, of what I would consider to have been good men. Now that I'm out of corporate, I, I can't even tell you the support even my podcast co-host Mark Stinson on Intelligent Leadership Stories I mean just men who are really making a difference in the world are committed to supporting and helping it's not just the female cause right but you know we did a whole series on amplifying black voices that was Mark's idea not mine and I have the black family you know like there's so many men doing these great things and I'm being surrounded by them. So even my perspective has been altered out of people's kindness. And, you know, you are the sum of who you hang out with. So it's really opening. And it's nice for me to be able to say that and not say all men are bad. You know, mm. it happened to have been the environments I chose. Mm, for sure. And, that, and that's what I was alluding to, Beth. <laughs> yep, 100%. 100%. Wasn't <laughs> saying all men were toxic. <laughs> nope, self nope. Self-reflecting on quite dangerous level. <laughs> that's right. I had, to, I had to move that needle a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's bring this to a close and ask the key question, Kirsten, which we need to ask uh, you, as I ask everybody. Um, bring it all together for us. What person is it that makes your bits tingle yeah i you know i always laugh when i i, I can i have my ovaries tingle um so i'm just kidding i'm just kidding um what makes what just gets me excited is watching people blossom 
people, companies, environments, whoever it is that is engaging in that self-awareness process and to do, to do good for, for the right reasons, mm. right? To do good for the right reasons and as a result, watch them flourish. That gets me really happy. Lovely, because if, if people um, want to find out more about you, uh, see what you're up to, get connect, what's the best way for people to track you down? Yeah, the best way to find me is um, on my LinkedIn, Kirsten Gouldy, and just my first and last name, and I'm on LinkedIn. And I would even go as far as shoot me a note saying you heard me on this show, so we know how you came to me and just let me know, because I'd love to know, you know, how you found me. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Kirsten, it's been a fantastic conversation. It's, uh, we, we come at things from slightly different angles, but we, with everything you've talked about, I recognise, I resonate with, I agree with it. <laughs> I, need, I need to get people on here that have a, I have a completely different opinion with because uh, <laughs> we need to shift our mind. It's like, how dare you agree with everything you say? <laughs> Oh, you haven't listened to my podcast yet with Mark. Mark's always like, oh, God, here we go again, Kirsten. Somebody <laughs> had said something I don't agree with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more controversy required. Um, but yeah, um, great story. And I love what you're uh, doing with, yeah, you know, if we can get more uh, love, understanding and win-win collaborative approach into, into business, then um, yeah. Yeah, again we're gonna be in a better place everybody's gonna be in a better place and what's wrong with that with yeah i know that's uh, i love what you just said it's a win-win and in a better place so with that i thank you so much for your time and wish you all the best for the future whatever mm, it may thank be. you it's been a pleasure and you're fun so that makes it even better <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks these podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers i want you to think about what's been said, what's come up, and how you might apply that to your own situation. And if you've enjoyed it, then please subscribe to the podcast and, of course, share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on. Thanks very much for listening. My name's Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment, and I want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle. <laughs>